Hello, and welcome back to yet another episode of absolutely nobody's favorite podcast, Annoying Question Boy. Uh, I am your host, Annoying Question Boy, also known as Josh. Uh, if this is your first time tuning in, welcome. Thanks for uh, coming along to the shit, sh- shit show. Um, uh, first and foremost, if it is your first time coming to the show, I apologize in advance for the background noise. Um, because capitalism exists, I am required to work uh, the entirety of my life away. So I currently have to be to work seven days a week. So when I record, it's usually while I'm driving. Um, I'm sorry if that bothers you. Uh, You can be sure to go back to some of my older episodes about a month or two ago and you will not find this problem. Uh, But if you can be willing to bear with it, uh, I would appreciate it because I got a lot to talk about today. Um, So I've been trying to record this podcast now like three or four times. The first time I thought I nailed it. And then I get to work and I go to like, I, I use Anchor. So, like, I go to, like, you know, finish recording and hit publish, and I realize that for 40 minutes I have not been recording. So, try to do it two more times. The first time I was far too high. The second time last night, I just didn't really like it. So, we're going for a fourth time, and hopefully this is the good one. Um, so, yeah, what I really want to talk to you guys about today is this idea of dialectics. So, If you have never heard this word before, um, it's a philosophical term. Um, It's used quite often in Marxist ideology, as well as uh, other German philosophy. And since then, uh, it's been used by many people. Um, I don't have a dictionary definition for you because uh, you should know I am not like an academia type. Like, I'm just some, I'm just some dude, you know, who, like, is interested in this shit and reads books. So, like, and listens to podcasts. That's the big thing. Um, so most of the information that I got for this episode is based off of, uh, the Marxist Project on YouTube and their video of Marxist Dialectics, um, On Contradiction by Mao, as well as the, uh, Red Menace episode about that text, uh, Socialism, Scientific and Utopian by Frederick Engels, uh, the Red Menace episode about that, as well as the Revolutionary Left episode about the intro to Marxism, uh, I think it's titled Historical Materialism, Dialectics, and something else, but, so, I, I don't have a, I don't have a run-of-the-mill dictionary definition for you about what dialectics is, but, I was hoping that through this episode we could try to tease out really what it is that dialectics is and why it is an important thing to understand, study, and, you know, really wrestle with. So before we can really understand dialectics, I think that there's two things that we should really focus on talking about first. So first, history. Uh, I would assume that nobody would know this about me because I don't know how you would, um, But I planned on being a history teacher all the way until I was about 19. So I spent the better half of my life preparing to become a history teacher. So history is something that I've always had a passion for. Um, I know to some people it's incredibly boring. Completely understand it. I've definitely found periods of history that I've studied that have been incredibly dull and hard to learn about. 
But more than anything, my drive to learn history has overcome that dullness and that boredom. Because I think, and what I really want to talk about, is history is one of, if not the most important tool of any society. So let's take something as mundane as cooking. If, let's say, nobody passed along the knowledge that the first people who, you know, discovered fire had in order to create that fire. Today, even though, you know, quite possibly it could have been discovered again, we might not have modern cooking. More so than that, we have literal recipes. We have, you know, all these different... Culinary arts is a science at this point. And at one point, it was just... I need to eat, how do I sustain myself? But history is incredibly important, especially the passing down of historical traditions, um, like cooking. Because if it wasn't for that, we might not know how to cook. You know, there was a period of time where human beings ate raw meat because they had yet to discover fire. We might still be eating raw meat and uncooked food at this point in history if it were not for the recognition of the importance of remembering how to cook, remembering these things, and passing that along. Whether you view that as quote-unquote history or not is not really the question. That is a historical process that has a history. It has a past, a present, and a future. It has a beginning, and I wouldn't assume that it will have an end because it's cooking. I can't say that it won't, though. Um, But as it stands, you know, we can look at and trace throughout history the progression of cooking. And therefore, it has um, a historical basis and uh, uh, history to it. Why is this important? Why is, you know, remembering to cook important? Well, let's maybe take ourselves away from the remembering to cook example. And let's maybe talk about something like building cement. So if you don't know... Um, the recipe for cement from like Egyptian ancient civilizations, supposedly it was this perfected recipe. And, you know, there's some mythology that goes along with like the, um, uh, what are they called? Starts with an M. Oh, geez, Louise. Wow. Mason. There's a lot of mythology to go with the Masons um, who, you know, believed in the advanced technology and superiority of the Egyptian race, who they feel they are descendants of. Um, I'm not going to dive too far into that because I don't have much of an understanding. But so if you are to take that, you know, understanding that there was this perfected recipe of cement You can prove that because you can go to places where these, you know, civilizations existed and you can see foundations of homes. You can see roads. You can see full buildings that are still upright from those times. And so obviously there is some truth to the fact that maybe we forgot how to make cement as good as we once did. Now, why is this important? Well, now we don't know how to make cement. We did not keep a proper history of this. We did not keep up on it. We found that it was unimportant. And so we decided now 
well, not we decided, but we have now gotten to a point where we do not have that supposed perfected recipe for cement. To take it even a step further, one of the things that we have learned in history is that, um, you know, this idea of liberal governance, this idea of equality under the law, we have learned through history. And if you do not agree with me, then you do not study history. We have learned through history that liberalism does not work. It leads to corruption, it leads to misuse of power, and it leads to just a further antagonism between the classes and oppression. If you, again, do not believe me, look at America right now. We are supposedly the land of the free, yet I am currently being forced to work seven days a week to afford rent. How free can I be if I can't even avoid going to work? I am not able to be at home spending my time with my significant other, my partner, who I want to be hanging out with today, you know, because I have to pay rent. I can't sit at home and read as much theory as I want in order to become as knowledgeable and understanding as possible because I have to go to work. And surely these things are maybe not necessarily in exact opposition to the freedoms that we have in America, that doesn't really matter. So to wrap it all up in a tight, nice little bow, history is really important because it teaches us how to do better. If we are to uh, accept history as important and really rely on it as a teacher, we have seen that the civilizations that choose to do that can continuously better themselves and progress, whereas we here in America teach history essentially as if we know everything, we're the best, and that's why we're number one, and so nothing is ever going to change, and that's why for the last 40 years we've been in this stagnant realm of failure, just essentially waiting for the entire thing to just implode. The second thing that I think, I think, The second thing that I think is incredibly important to understand and talk about before we really dive into what dialectics is, is this theory of materialism. So if you know anything about philosophy, you know that materialism's antithesis or opposite is idealism. Now, the easiest way to understand materialism is through understanding idealism. And I have found, thanks to uh, Alison Escalante on Rev Left and Red Menace, uh, who has taken the time to give a great example for us Americans. Uh, if you're not American and this doesn't really resonate, I apologize, but this is what I got to work with. So um, what she says is that the greatest, the, the, the easiest way for Americans to understand idealism versus materialism is by looking at the story of the American Revolution that we're taught. So let's start with the idealist approach. So I would assume that most of us who went to school in America and learned about the American Revolution in American education systems probably got a little bit of a story something like this. So the colonists came to the colonies seeking freedom. Um, When they lived in Great Britain or France or uh, Spain or wherever they were coming from, They were living under a feudal system. Now, if you don't know what that word feudal means, it's basically the period of time where there was kings and queens. Um, Also, at that time, there was all kinds of, you know, nobility, which held uh, ultimate power over the peasantry and general working people of the society. And so because of that, 
certain freedoms like the freedom of religion, the freedom of expression, the freedom of speech, the freedom to gather, all these things were not allowed in society. If the king or queen decided that what you were doing was not up to snuff in their book, they rightly so could just outright kill you and your family, and would and did multiple times over. So the the colonists who came from these places were seeking freedom. They were seeking individuality. Um, Something that I just wrote a blog on, it's called The Cancer of Individualism. Um, And I talk about how the Protestant Reformation really put forth this idea of individualistic uh, consciousness um, and really brought that into the forefront of society. And so this was a period of time where colonists were starting to get an introduction to these things, you know. And so they were coming to the United States, or at that time, the colonies of North America, to escape that oppression and that, you know, lack of freedom in order to seek their own individual lifestyles um, in a new land where they were allowed to go about their their lives, you know, self-determination. Um, the materialist, however, would look at this explanation and claim that, in fact, it's false, um, solely based on the notion that it is wholly based in the realm of ideas, as its name would suggest, idealism. And what this basically means to the materialist is, it's basically just pish posh, like to put it frankly, um, because anyone can just say, oh yeah, they, you know, they wanted freedom, so they came to America, and so they wanted, you know, to be, have liberty and stuff like that. But there's no proof to be had in that statement. There's no evidence to prove that claim to say that the reason why colonists came was for freedom. The materialist focuses more on material conditions and things which can be pointed to, understood, mastered, and therefore used as an explanation of things. So the materialist would completely denounce this theory and say and uh, argue uh, a different one. And it, it would kind of go something like this. So... Also in the feudal system, in these uh, colonizing countries, you had economic systems, which basically the way that they were set up was you had, just as you have today, you had the working class. Now, this a lot of times was prior to modern industry, um, and so this was before the classes of the bourgeoisie and the proletariat formed. So most working class people of this time were not working in a factory. They weren't working on huge farms. They weren't working in a store. They were working for themselves and they weren't even really working. This is a period of time before commodities as we know them today were invented. This was just individual production. You know, I have a family who needs a to eat, so I'm going to grow crops to feed them. Uh, I need a chair, so I'm going to go out to the woods, I'm going to collect some timber, I'm going to go to my workshop, and I'm going to make a chair. Uh, It wasn't until, you know, you had a stability in these people's lives where they were able to produce more than just simply what they needed that we began to see uh, the introduction of uh, commodities and the introduction of capitalism. So, At this period of time, you had a lot of people who were going to the colonies, where this, you know, beginning of capitalism was really starting to take hold, where people were beginning to trade themselves. You know what I mean? Eventually, there were enough rich people who caught on to the way that these things 
went and they decided that they were going to buy up the means of production. So basically what that means is if you need timber, you need screws, you need a screwdriver, you need uh, sanding tools, you need all these things to build a chair, you need a facility to build a chair, well, guess what? The only way that you can do that is by buying it from me because I own it now. And so this is where we really began to see um, that individualism make its way into society through the participation in capitalism. So at this period of time, you had colonists who were coming over to the colonies who for the first time were able to make a profit and better their own lives through economic pursuits. Because in feudal societies, what you produced was for the good of the feudal lord, for the good of the king or the queen. You know, when they went, when the queen of Spain, the king of England sent people to, you know, on the age of exploration to find colonies, they weren't going there to help those people produce things to support themselves. They were going there to steal their goods in order to better themselves. But they were only doing this because they had done it for so long to the very people in their own homelands. That's precisely what feudalism was. And so now you have this new introduction of this freedom of trade, this freedom of commerce that prior to this point did not exist. And so people in the colonies really started to appreciate the, the other freedoms that this allowed them to have. You know, the rich capitalists in the colonies who were able to better themselves to make a living through this participation in capitalism, for the first time were able to see themselves live a much freer, uh, much more uh, ease uh, easy, I should say, a much more um, relaxed and uh, stable life, which allowed them to participate in things like consumption and trade. The materialist would argue this is what caused the American Revolution rather than the ideas of freedom, the material conditions which led to the ability for certain people of those times to become free. So now you have to understand that what materialism and idealism are, are two different ways to understand change, really. Do people's ideas change the world, or do people's material conditions change the world? So really, do people um, change the world, or does the world change people? The materialists would argue that material conditions, the basis of which our lives are lived, the realities we live in, you know, do I drive a 2021 Lexus or do I drive a 2002 uh, Hyundai Sonata with 185,000 miles and barely a running engine? Do I live in a 20,000 square foot home with my family or do I live in a one uh, bedroom studio apartment with four of my best friends and some random guy off of Craigslist? Um, this is material conditions. And so the materialists would argue that these are the things that push change to happen. So now that we kind of have a grasp of history and we kind of have a grasp of materialism, there's a surprise third thing that I think we should talk about. And that is the combination of those two things. So historical materialism is a science where materialism for the first time, that, that study of looking at material conditions and seeing how they influence change throughout time was applied to history. Prior to Hegel, who was a German philosopher that Karl Marx actually studied 
uh, under and was a student of, um, he was the first to do this, to apply materialism to history. Because before this, before Hegel really did this, history was viewed as more or less just a series of disconnected, random events. You know, no one really saw when there was a revolution that revolution as being a a period of change and a new period of history. They saw that revolution as a revolution and a revolution only and completely and utterly disconnected from everything else. Um, This really stemmed from uh, the study, the scientific study that we applied, or I guess technically the scientific study that we applied at this time would be a reflection of the ideals that led us to view history this way, which was that if we want to study anything in its whole, we have to completely remove it from its natural environment and study it independently. And so this was the scientific approach that was taken prior to Hegel. But Hegel said no. Hegel said, actually, these things are connected, and actually, they influence one another and are influenced by one another. And so, Hegel put forth this idea of historical materialism. The only issue with this was, as Marx would later point out in his critique of Hegel, was that Hegel himself was, to his core, an idealist. And therefore, Hegel, what he believed was that the sum of his mind, you know, his ideas, his thoughts, his values, his beliefs, his morals, all those things were a collection of his mind's own doing, rather than a reflection of the environment which his mind developed in. And therefore, even though he was applying materialism to history, he was doing it as an idealist, which did not allow him to fully divest into the full length of materialistic development that dialectics gives us. So, what is dialectics? Well, to put it frankly and very broadly, dialectics is the theory that says essentially exactly what historical materialism says, which is everything and anything is interconnected. They are constantly evolving and progressing. Nothing, not a single thing in this world exists in a static phase. It is constantly moving, evolving, and progressing. And because of this, Those things which are progressing therefore influence either the remaining things within their environment, those things, if they are themselves the environment, those things within the environment, or in the case of large revolutionary change, they will completely change the fabric of that environment itself. And so, even though the materialist understands that our environment is what influences our ideas, we also know through the study of dialectics that that, you know, that change in our ideas can then be compounded on, can be progressed, can be practiced, can be um, critiqued, and can be worked to a point where we master this process rather than being a subject 
of this process. Rather than simply being changed by our environment, we allow our environment to educate us, to inform us, to a point where we then have mastery over our environment. This is not a case for human beings being the superior, you know, uh, being in everything. But what it is, is an approach that takes the understanding that things are constantly influencing and being influenced. And it is only through accepting this truth and studying this that we can better ourselves from that process. Otherwise, we are just lost in a permanent cycle of change and progression, eventually to corruption and failure, because the thing that's really cool about human beings is that we have in us this thing called an ego. And so when we think that we're right about something, like, I don't know, America being the best, we just take that for granted and just continue perpetuating that without ever really saying, wait a minute, how, why? And so this is why I think, and I know that for those of you who are tuning in, this might be a little bit more philosophical than you're used to, but I think this is this is uh, precisely why um, this idea of um, studying dialectics is so important because if we do actually expect change to come, we have to know how to facilitate that change and not just facilitate that change, but sustain that change. I mean, how many revolutions has there been in the entire history of man that have failed? How many revolutions has there been that have succeeded and then failed? How many revolutions have there been that have succeeded for extended periods of time I don't know, like from 1776 all the way to 2020, which, you know, desperately need to be looked at and analyzed um, and changed, you know. And so this is the approach that dialectics gives us, which is the understanding that we cannot be just plainly right. We have to take a scientific approach to life in order to continuously be learning new things, be learning the reality of life, be learning how to change the fabric of the reality of life, and especially be learning how to, uh, how to progress from our past mistakes. And this is the approach that dialectics gives us, which I feel is incredibly important to leftists today. We have seen throughout history in all of the colon, uh, colonial settler states the progression of liberalism and what it leads to. But yet we are not learning from this failure. We are not learning from this oppression. We are not learning from the genocides, from the death, from the starvation, from the mass homelessness, from the lack of medical care, from the lack of just outright happiness in life. In such an advanced society as America in 2020, you would think the last thing that I would need to do is be at work seven days a week. But yet here I am packing a bowl so that I can deal with having to be at work for the, I think the 13th day in a row now. It's not going to get better until we do something about it. But we can't just simply do something about it. We need to be scientific in our approach. We need to be knowledgeable in our approach. And we have to understand, most importantly, people's lives are at stake. Right now, as I've said and I will continue to say, there's 28 million people at risk of losing their homes in the middle of a global 
pandemic, which our government, the government of the United States, has absolutely in every way refused to take responsibility for, refused to help its citizens with, and refused to do anything other than enrich itself further upon the woes and trials of those of us who are suffering rather than succeeding in the midst of this pandemic. There are millions more where that is at who are not in this place of losing their homes. But does, that does not mean that they will not be here soon. And that is the reality that I think we as Americans need to come to, which is that we are all at risk of this reality. So the last point I really want to make is quite simple, which is... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Jesus Christ. Let me take a drink. <coughs> oh. <coughs> I think we're good. Okay. This reality that exists that I'm talking to you about, you can deny it all you want. I don't care. Leave a comment. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm just a fucking, you know, libtard, whatever. Call me whatever names you want. Critique me however you want. I don't fucking care. The reality that we are facing today, which is the reality, cannot be changed by anyone other than those of us suffering under it. We have seen in the midst of this pandemic in America how little the ruling class intends to do for the working class. How little our United States government intends to do to help the people of the United States, which they exist to serve and represent. Right here, right now, I would like to put out a little charge. Um... To those of us who, you know, maybe have questioned government our whole lives, really never understood how things got this bad in such a world which is so advanced, so knowledgeable, so wealthy, I would like to put out a charge to you. If you can figure out, sincerely, one way in which all the problems we are facing today are not a direct symptom of the introduction and the continuation of the capitalist mode of appropriation and production, then I will stop recording a podcast. Not for nothing. But another charge I would like to take, if you can agree with me and say that, you know, this is wholly a fault of the United States government, this is wholly a fault of the ruling class of not just the United States, but the industrialized and advanced uh, block the imperialist block, the suffering that we see in this world today. If you can agree that this is a symptom of capitalism or at the very least a symptom of the use of capitalism by the imperialist powers for personal corrupt reasons, then I ask you, please, work with me. I am trying my hardest to figure out a way to organize. I sincerely think that we need to be taking it seriously. The lack of organization, the lack of power, and the lack of, really, influence that the left, or if you don't even want to be political about it, that the general public in the United States, 
the majority of people, the lack of power that they hold in this supposed free country, if you yourself can agree that this is extremely problematic and needs to change, please DM me and let's have a conversation. Because if nobody else is going to do it, let's fucking do it, you know? So, yeah, if you're interested in that, message me. Uh, Love to talk to you. You can also email me. Uh, My email is Joshua, J-O-S-H-U-A, underscore Finn, F-I-N-N, at AOL.com. If you want to reach out to me, uh, I'd love to start a correspondence with more people. I'm really trying to organize, guys, and I don't know how else to do it. So if you listen to this show uh, repeatedly, the least you could do is send me an email and let me know that (laughs) you listen to the show because God damn it, am I depressed, people. And I really have a passion and a fire to want to do something to fix that. And this is something that I feel could fix that. So if you could help me along this path, God, would I appreciate it. If you're still listening to the show, I appreciate and love you so very much. Thank you so very much. Um, if you don't already, go ahead and follow me on my social media at uh, Annoying Question Boy on Instagram. Facebook, TikTok, and then Twitter is at capital A, annoying, capital Q, U, E, S, T, I, and then the number one. Uh, You can also find my blog at annoyingquestionboy.blogspot.com. Uh, and yeah, uh, I do a YouTube too, but I think that that's probably on its way out. I'm I would love to get more into it, but I really don't have the time for it, sadly, right now. And I don't enjoy it as much, so. Uh, Also, uh, real quick, still working on my book. If you've been interested in that or you've heard me talk about it or you haven't heard me talk about it, here's a brief little synopsis. So I read the book Washington Bullets and the book Our History is the Future. Uh, Washington Bullets is by Vijay Prashad. Our History is the Future is by Nick Estes. And those two books combined as well with the place in my education, my, you know, political and philosophical education, as well as, you know, where we are in life, really led me to this, this interest in liberation. So I wrote a book called Liberation is Irresistible, which was inspired by these two works, as well as countless other ones and conversations, which I've had. Um, It talks about the history of colonialism and imperialism. It talks about how this has influenced third world countries' development. Um, And it talks about the importance of uh, liberation. It talks about different liberation movements throughout history. And it kind of just, it's a broad book. So if you're interested in that, super easy read. I wrote it as best as I could to make it uh, readable for someone like me. So if you have like an awful, you know, time reading theory. Don't worry. This is not going to be like that. It's like reading just any other book. I'm still working on the editing process. If you're someone who would be interested in helping in that or, and I'll really cast a line here. If you are a publisher or are at all involved with a publishing firm and you would be willing to take my manuscript and submit it or, you know, read it and tell me who to submit it to, I'll kiss you three times on the mouth. I don't even care. I'll do it. Don't challenge me. I'll do it. Um, So yeah, still listening. Thanks for that, guys. Love you all. Hope everybody's safe. Um, Remember, guys, solidarity with the striking farmers in India and New Delhi who are calling for a repeal of the extremely pro 
uh, capitalist pro-corporate uh, ruling um, by the Modi government. Uh, also, uh, solidarity with those in Venezuela, solidarity with all struggling people in the world, and especially those uh, who are fighting for liberation of their homeland from the capitalist imperialist powers. So solidarity with you all, love to you all, love to and solidarity to all your relatives and loved ones. Um, I hope everybody is safe and healthy. Again, um, yo, straight up, if you want to just chit-chat, email me. Like, I'm being serious. If you just want to be my friend, hit me up. Um, yeah, so thanks, guys, for listening. Hope you have a good rest of your day, uh, and we'll see you next time. As always, it's been your boy. Catch you later. Bye.